Welcome to this edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University, and we're glad to have a show for you this week and our focus for this week. And we'll get to that in just a moment because I need to do the intro things that we do each week uh, to remind you that we're right here each Sunday at noon on KTRL 90.5 FM. Uh, The show is posted to SoundCloud. Uh, after the show, so you can always go back and listen if you miss the the broadcast. Uh, of course, you can during the broadcast you can listen either on the radio or at tarletonradio.com for the the stream, uh, and then uh, you can follow us on Facebook. Uh, you can get episodes where you get your podcast. There's all kinds of different m- means in which you can interact with on politics and connect with very critical issues, very timely issues on the local, state, federal, and international level. So we welcome you to engage with us uh, through those variety of ways, Uh, but if you have that opportunity on Sundays to join us right here on KTRL 90.5 FM. Now, I've not done this before uh, as a show uh, in terms of focusing on one single issue. Most of our shows have been multiple segments looking at different things, maybe one priority issue or event, uh, and then looking at other events as well or other issues uh, that are timely and connected. And so this makes this show a little bit unique, but it's very timely as well uh, because as I introduced last week in the show, just recently on May 19th, uh, Governor Greg Abbott signed into law uh, one of the nation's most strict abortion measures. Uh, which ban procedures as early as six weeks into pregnancy. And so abortion is one of those issues that uh, for really 50 years, or and, and even a little bit longer than that, and will for many years to come, as we'll emphasize uh, throughout the show, uh, has been a very challenging issue in bringing together a number of factors, of course, that being the role of government in the, the addressing abortion and how to regulate it, the political ideologies that are engaged with this as well in terms of the emphasis on certain values, whether that's the, the freedom of a, a woman to uh, determine the extent of a pregnancy and, and whether uh, to choose in terms of her body, whether or not to carry a child to full term, uh, as well as those on the other side that look at the, the, the emphasis on the value of life and protecting the rights of the fetus. Um, th- there's all different aspects to this. And then, of course, if you look at the, ten, the, the related policies to this, such as teen pregnancy and those rates, especially we look at here in Texas. And then we also look at public opinion. We look at the role of, of religious groups and, and groups that advocate for civil liberties. I mean, there's there's just so many different facets to this that make it such a contentious issue. And the focus of the show today is not to uh, resolve the issue. It's not to advocate on one side or the other. It stays with the format of the show, and that is to connect you to the information, the background, the data uh, that you need, the issues that are related to this. Uh, sometimes the things, many of the things that are left out when you get the sound bites uh, through uh, the media or on uh, in a newspaper article and through other uh, resources, it's helping you to to engage with uh, that information and resources to then look at uh, how we use government related to this issue. How do we use government? What is the role of government, or what do we see should be the role of government? based on what we value, based on uh, how we're going to address some of the challenges and, and, and issues that are related to this uh, within our society and within our state. And so I thought this would be a, a, an issue that would be great to focus on in terms of a full show because of its complexity, because there are so many facets to it uh, and there's so many aspects to it that we just need to be aware of in terms of of the role of government, understanding that role, and then how we advocate for what that role should be in the future. So to go back just a little bit, because some of this was on last week's show, I don't want to spend too much time here, but it is our starting point, uh, because as it has been over many years, we can look back that the state legislature in Texas 
has had some type of abortion measure uh, on the agenda uh, and has passed many things, as we'll see in a moment when we look at the timeline. Uh, so just before we, we jump into this a little bit, I, I do want to, to kind of give you the outline of the show in that we, we will talk about the recent law that's been passed, uh, but we also want to put that in the context of where we are uh, with abortion and how it happens in the state of Texas. So a little bit of, of state facts compared to what's happening on the national level, and then look at the timeline, especially over the last decade. I mean, we could go back all the way uh, to the uh, uh, 1990s and even further back than that when certain uh, when states began to address certain laws uh, more rigorously and how those laws uh, have had an impact in the reduction of abortions, uh, but also how this continues to be a very challenging and controversial issue on a number of fronts. So we'll go back and look at the last decade and see where we've come as a state in terms of the decisions our legislature has made to lead to this point, to one of the most restrictive laws uh, that we have seen passed by a state to date uh, that will also most likely be challenged in the Supreme Court, and as many have before, and will continue us along this line of debate uh, and political conflict and challenges uh, related to the issue. And then the last part of the show, I want to also deal with the uh, political aspects of this, uh, talking about the connection of political parties and ideology. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit when we look at some polling, because it always helps to know where people are in the state uh, based on how they engage with this issue and what their views are. Uh, but we also want to talk about how ideology is influenced by values uh, and how the ranking of those values uh, often lead to positions on issues like this and what people think government should do or not do. And of course, here in Texas, it's also how those values connect with party affiliation and connect with voting uh, because uh, decisions are often made based on uh, engaging with those who are voting and what uh, political ideology they hold and what they're looking for in terms of candidates. And of course, in Texas, where we have historically had a high level of social conservatism, uh, especially shown visible in politics, uh, here is this is really a, a, a flashpoint issue. It's a hot button issue. It's one that's in the middle of all of this. But we also don't want to forget, uh, and we'll point to this, uh, that this is a very complex issue. Uh, that has a lot of policy implications that are oftentimes set to the side in order to focus on this so uh, uh, this issue that is such a hot button, this issue that is so uh, uh, at times polarizing, this issue that that uh, uh, resonates with many voters, and thus you have politicians that are trying to keep this in front of them and 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 moving it forward in terms of state politics and and of course the role of the state related to abortion. So we're going to get to a lot of facets of this today. I'm glad you've joined us right here on KTRL 90.5 FM. And quickly, let's just do a review of this most recent law uh, and why is it different? And we'll see that even more so as we do a little background, as we do a little history. So one of the aspects of this is that uh, Governor Abbott signed it into law on Wednesday, May 19th that prohibits Texas abortions as early as six weeks. Uh, and the concern here by abortion rights advocates is that uh, this is even before some women may know that they are pregnant. Uh, but it also opened the door for almost any private citizen to sue abortion providers. And this is the unique aspect of this law uh, that is uh, makes this one uh, very different from things that we've seen before. So abortion rights advocates uh, have promised to challenge the new law uh, once they consider it uh, now one of the most extreme nationwide and the strictest in Texas since the landmark Roe v. Wade decision. Uh, so there's different sides to this. Uh, the governor signs the law now as the Supreme Court is also taking up a case concerning a Mississippi law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks. So there's a case ahead of this that will be reviewed and then most likely the Texas case could follow. Uh, and the, the, the other parts of it is that the bill bans abortions after a fetal heartbeat has been detected. Uh, it, it does include uh, cases where the woman was impregnated 
uh, as a result of rape or incest, and there's also an exception for medical emergencies. Um, and these, this type of bill, or it's called a heartbeat bill, that have been passed by other states have held up, been held up in the courts because of different things. But this is where the Texas version has a different uh, take on it. Uh, as the article here in the Texas Tribune says, instead of having the government enforce the law, the bill turns the reins over to private citizens who are newly empowered to sue abortion providers or anyone who helps someone get an abortion after a fetal heartbeat has been detected. The person would not have to be connected to someone who had an abortion or to a provider to sue. So proponents of this new law hope to get around the legal challenges that have tied up abortion restrictions in the courts, uh, where abortion providers usually sue the state to stop restrictive abortion laws from taking effect. Here, there's no state official enforcing the, the bill, uh, so there's no one to sue uh, in terms of the state. As Josh Blackman said, and I referred to this last week as well, it's a very unique law. He's the constitutional law professor at South Texas College of Law in Houston. He said it's a very clever law. Planned Parenthood can't go to the court and sue Attorney General Ken Paxton like they usually would because he has no role in enforcing the statute. They have to basically sit and wait to be sued. And this has some interesting aspects to it in terms of uh, the constitutional uh, foundations, the legality of it, uh, in terms of the role of, of government kind of stepping back from enforcement and letting uh, private citizens and others uh, do that uh, in terms of uh, those that provide uh, abortions. So we now have this in place in Texas, and we know that it's going to be challenged in the courts. Uh, we know that it will be a, a, a be an ongoing issue, and then whatever the courts decide with this will come back to a legislative session in in several years. Uh, the next one it will be in uh, 2023, and and then lead from there. Whether there are additional changes that are made, depending on how uh, this law, uh, how it works in the courts, and uh, what are some of the challenges. So one of the things that we want to understand with this and looking at the context, which I think is always important when we're looking at policy issues, especially controversial ones like this, is to understand what is happening with abortion in Texas. Uh, now, when we look at this uh, nationally, uh, when we look at um, what's happening around the country uh, in terms of, of uh, abortion and where we are uh, and how Texas compares with other states, uh, the trend has been uh, uh, connected, of course, to pregnancy rates, which we've seen decline uh, since uh, the 1990s, the early 1990s. Teen pregnancy rates, uh, and that's what we would consider women younger, 24 or younger, uh, have been declining. Uh, so this is 20 to 24, 18 to 19, 15 to 17, uh, under 15. I mean, these rates have, have been declining considerably uh, during that time. And of course, abortion rate has fallen as well. Uh, since the, the early 90s, uh, it has dropped considerably, uh, where you see a, a national rate uh, of, uh, that was almost 40% or 40 women every uh, per thousand having an abortion, uh, to now looking at that, that average that has dropped uh, below uh, to around eight or nine uh, abortion events uh, per 1,000 uh, women, which that's very, very interesting to see uh, that decline. And of course, a lot of that's attributed to more uh, strict abortion laws post Roe v. Wade, and especially in the, in the early 90s when uh, there was this push to kind of address this dramatic increase in abortions. Um, ten, we can look at this by state as well. Uh, when we compare the pregnancy rate, and I, I bring in the teen pregnancy rate because it's something we have to look at, uh, especially since Texas has one of the highest rates. We're in the top 10 states in the U.S. in terms of teen pregnancy rates, and it's those rates that have an impact on abortion and, of course, access to abortion. Uh, and when we look at this, the, the data that I'm looking at now comes from the Guttmacher Institute, and it's a little bit dated. We're talking about three or four years ago. But at that point in time, the pregnancy rate 
of young women aged 15 to 19 in Texas were 39 uh, per 1,000 women. Okay, so that's one of the higher rates uh, in the country. Uh, now, that, that if you look at it uh, currently, uh, that has dropped some uh, in, in the last few years. We have some data now uh, that shows that we're like in the mid to upper 20s uh, per 1,000. So it continues that trend of dropping, uh, but it's still a critical factor. It's still one of those factors that influences uh, access to abortion and uh, the need for abortion. And, and so the summary here, when we look at this nationally, and then let's talk a little more about, about Texas, it says that although pregnancy rates among women aged 24 or younger have been declining during the past two and a half decades, rates among those older than age 30 have been increasing. So again, this is another area, another factor that has to be looked at. Uh, these patterns reflect different underlying trends in birth and abortion rates. Pregnancy rate declines among young people have resulted from declines in both birth and abortion rates, while the abortion rates among older age groups have stayed mostly constant as birth rates have increased. Trends over time at the state level have generally mirrored national trends. However, there are strong geographic patterns. Pregnancy rates in 2017 were higher among younger people in the South and Southwest compared with other regions and for older age groups in the Northwest and the Northeast. And I think that's something that's interesting to look at when you talk about abortion and teen pregnancy in Texas is that, that we're very close in number to many of the states here in the Southwest and the South, such as New Mexico, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, uh, even Alabama, Tennessee, and, and Kentucky. Uh, these are, are some of the states that have some of the highest uh, teen pregnancy uh, and abortion rates in the country. And so these are a related issues, something that we just need to understand because it seems like the states that have moved to do more related to teen pregnancy, uh, especially in terms of sex education, uh, that, that there has been more of an impact uh, on diminishing teen pregnancy and thus also uh, diminishing uh, abortion. Um, and so that's a challenge in Texas because we, the majority of our uh, schools, I think it's 50% uh, are abstinence only. Uh, there's more than that, that, that if you add them all together, we're up in the 70% or so that do not teach um, uh, any kind of alternative uh, safe sex education and, and those kinds of things. And again, this goes along with uh, this uh, social conservatism that we'll talk about later in engaging with these issues and trying to help uh, young people and teens uh, address them and understand them uh, in order to, uh, to navigate them uh, and to not see, see, see if there can be an impact on pregnancy rates and on abortion. Uh, just to look at some of the, the numbers here, this is the, in addition to that context of where Texas is on a national level. Uh, if we go back, the, the, this data that I have most recently is from 2017. Uh, the resulting abortion rate uh, in the United States of, as a whole was 13.5 abortions per 1,000 women um, of reproductive age. That's between 15 and four, ages 15 to 44. In uh, 2017, 55,440 abortions were provided in Texas. Uh, some patients uh, may have traveled outside to other states and some may have traveled into Texas. But this showed a 3% decline in the abortion rate in Texas between 2014 and 2017, from 9.8 to 9.4 abortions per 1,000 women of reproductive age. Uh, ab abortions in Texas represent 6.4% of all abortions in the United States. Um, in Texas, too, and this is always a, a focus of laws, as we see in this most Recent law are the facilities, abortion providers. Uh, in 2017, there were 35 facilities providing abortion in Texas. 20 of those, 21 of those were in clinics. Uh, these numbers represented a 25% decline in clinics from 2014 when there were 44 abortion providing facilities of which 28 were clinics. And in 2017, uh, some 96% of Texas counties had no clinics that provided abortions and 43% of Texas women lived uh, in those uh, counties. 
so that's some of the facts that are uh, close to our time period. We know that, that more of those numbers have gone down. And of course, laws that have been passed have been focused on trying to uh, reduce those rates, uh, abortion rates, even more through restrictions on clinics, uh, through restrictions on time, how, much, how, how many weeks of gestation uh, before uh, that limit an abortion. Uh, and so I want to give a little bit of attention uh, to that as well, uh, talking uh, about abortion legislation and how what has been the focus of that uh, over the last decade. And so this would take us back to 2011, uh, where Texas began, and, and think about before this too, we could go back further than that because there have been even more attempts to address uh, abortion in the state. Uh, but we can see this consistently over the last decade and, and the legislative sessions that have been had during that time, uh, that there's been a very concerted attempt uh, that aligned with uh, the party affiliation and political ideology uh, within the state. Again, we'll look at that in a moment when we talk about a little bit of polling. But let, let's talk about the laws and how they've developed. In 2011, uh, Texas enacted legislation. This would have been from the 2011 legislative session, but in September 1, this law went into effect that cut funding for family planning services by two-thirds. The budget for this went from 111 million to 37.9 million for the 2012-2013 budget period, uh, and so that was a major uh, uh, impact on family planning services. Um, in October, uh, Texas uh, submitted a renewal application for a state Medicaid waiver program, the Women's Health Program, which would exclude organizations affiliated with abortion providers, such as Planned Parenthood. So they're trying to, to cut off funding being used in the state uh, related to uh, Planned Parenthood. 2012, uh, the legislative session, um, Texas requires a sonogram bill before abortion. House Bill 15 goes into effect. Uh, this was following that, that 2011 legislative session that requires uh, the, the same physician who will carry out the abortion to perform an ultrasound scan 24 hours before the abortion, display the image and provide a description and make the fetal heartbeat audible. Therefore, the law mandated that women come to the facility for two visits at least 24 hours apart uh, and in order to go through this, this process. Again, with the attempt of trying to persuade uh, women not to go through uh, with the procedure. Um, the, in March of that year, 2012, the request to exclude Planned Parenthood from the 90% federally funded Medicaid waiver program is denied. Uh, so again, this tension and this challenges between state government and the federal government. By December of the, that year, the end of the year, federal funding for the women's health program is discontinued. Um, and the state begins in January of 2013 to administer the Texas Women's Health Program using uh, state revenue to cover 30 million of annual federal funding that had previously supported the program. Organizations affiliated with abortion providers were excluded from the program. Uh, so uh, we, we see a, a pattern here, and we're gonna see it continue because in July of 2013, uh, the law imposes four new abortion restrictions in Texas after two special sessions uh, called by Governor Rick Perry signed House Bill 2 into law, which included these four abortion restrictions. Abortions are banned at 20 weeks post-fertilization or 22 weeks from the women's last menstrual period. Physicians performing abortion must have admitted privileges, admitting privileges at a hospital within 30 miles of the facility. The provision of medication abor uh, abortion must follow the protocol described in the labeling of mifepristone approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and then all abortion facilities must meet the standards of ambulatory surgical centers. So the first three of these went into effect on November 1, 2013. Uh, the fourth one went into effect on September 1, 2014. And of course, several of these provisions are challenged in the courts by Planned Parenthood 
and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit upholds parts of the law. Um, so again, these some of these restrictions go into effect. Uh, some of these continue to be in, in challenged. Uh, the Fifth Circuit rules in favor of House Bill 2, the Ambulatory Surgical Center requirements go into effect, um, and the Fifth Circuit determined that uh, House Bill 2 could be enforced while the appeal moved forward. On October 3rd, the HB 2 provision that requires all abortion facilities to meet the standards of an ambulatory surgical center goes into effect. Uh, this was then appealed, of course, to the Supreme Court. On October 14, 2014, the U.S. Supreme Court permits facilities statewide to remain open without meeting ambulatory surgical center requirements and prohibits enforcement of the admitting privileges requirement uh, in the plaintiff's facilities in McAllen and El Paso. So this decision was in effect until the decision of the Fifth, Court of Circuit, uh, Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals was final. June of 2015, okay, this stretches into uh, six more months, the Fifth Circuit Court upholds the Ambulatory Surgical Center requirements. And of course, this was focused on raising the equipment and standards and facilities really to a point, too, that, that uh, most abortion clinics could not stay operational because of the cost uh, of doing this. Uh, in June also of 2015, uh, Texas signs into law House Bill 3994, making it harder for pregnant minors to obtain a judicial bypass or court approval to get an abortion without parental consent. In June, the end of June that year, the U.S. Supreme Court approves emergency appeal to the Fifth Circuit's decision to uphold the ambulatory surgical center requirements. Uh, the uh, clinics in Texas could continue to legally provide abortion care without meeting the requirements of that law in House Bill uh, 2. And by November then, the Supreme Court agrees to hear a challenge to House Bill 2 and announced that it would hear this challenge uh, and then first requires physicians to perform abor abortions to have admitting privileges. Again, more aspects of that law being looked at. This will go all the way into uh, 2016. Uh, where you have uh, several other challenges in March 2nd, the, the law is the, the challenge is heard before the Supreme Court. In June of 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court rules abortion restrictions as unconstitutional. The U.S. Supreme Court rules that two provisions of House Bill 2, hospital admitting privileges for physicians and the ambulatory surgical center requirement, unconstitutional stating that if, it, if enforced, they would place an undue burden on women's access to abortion uh, and offer limited health benefit. In July of that year, Texas had already been moving forward with its own uh, uh, women's program called Healthy Texas Women. Uh, it that begins, to, begins in July of that year, 2016, serving women ages 15 to 44 with incomes at or below 200% of the federal po poverty level and provided well women, women's care and contraceptive methods. Pregnant women who received care under Medicaid were automatically enrolled into the Healthy Texas Women's Program, thereby preventing gaps in coverage. Um, Texas then, in, by the end of that year in December, plans to remove Planned Parenthood from state Medicaid program, uh, which decreased uh, funding for, uh, for that by $3.1 million uh, in Medicaid resources. Uh, of course, that gets stopped in the courts. And in 2017, by June of 2017, Governor Greg Abbott signed into law Senate Bill 8, which required fetal tissue to be buried or cremated and prohibited dilation and evacuation abortion procedures. So again, another approach to this in terms of remains, in terms of the pr procedure itself. I mean, it, what we've seen is a pattern here and that continues of looking at various parts of, of, uh, of abortion and how to uh, engage with it to restrict it or to create a challenge in one area that would then have an effect on its availability in other areas. Uh, so let's move on to 2017. Again, August of that year, Governor Greg Abbott signs two pieces of abortion legislation into law. These restrictive laws include House Bill 13, which require additional reporting on complications from abortion, 
and House Bill 2014, which prohibited primary health insurance plans from covering most abortions. Uh, August 16th, the next day, a law requires additional reporting for abortions performed on minors uh, goes into effect. Um, the state then also extended the Maternal Mortality Task Force, where Governor Greg Abbott signed Senate Bill 17, uh, which was a look at trying to address why Texas has the highest maternal mortality rate uh, in the developed world. Uh, August, later that month, uh, judge, a judge temporarily blocks the law restricting dilation and evacuation abortion procedures. Um, and then in November, the same judge rules that abortion restriction uh, is unconstitutional uh, related to Senate Bill 8. Uh, that brings us into uh, 2019 and then, of course, up to this next legislative session, which we've already talked about what was recently signed into law. But in January of 2019, the People's Lawsuit challenges Texas abortion laws. Uh, the lawsuit, uh, Whole Women's Health versus Paxton, also known as the People's Lawsuit, opens in court. Uh, and NARL, the pro-choice Texas group, along with other Texas abortion uh, funds, providers, and grassroots groups filed the collective suit on June 14th to challenge uh, uh, the Texas abortion laws. And in March of 2019, Texas uh, seized Title 10 grantees announced by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, uh, which was the list of Title uh, 10 grantees. Women's Health and Family Planning Association of Texas receives the major Texas award of $14 million. Now, I know that was a, a, a quick run through. There, I'll post this document from the Texas Policy Evaluation Project on the Facebook page. But I do that to show you that there's a, 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 a an ongoing back and forth between Texas trying to limit or regulate uh, or restrict certain aspects of the abortion process, followed by court challenges, followed by laws being over, overturned followed by tweaking of those laws with an attempt to do it or to go in another direction, which is what we saw with this most recent law. Here is an attempt to deal with some of the uh, uh, ways in which these things are challenged. So no longer is it the state that's the focal point of enforcement. It's given over to the people uh, who can sue abortion providers if they uh, see that they uh, think that they violated uh, the law. Uh, now, that's going to be interesting, too, to see what is the state's role in that, then, in determining uh, uh, enforcement here, uh, not just through the courts, but in terms of here's a law and whose uh, responsibility is it to enforce that law uh, if it's broken. Um, you, you wouldn't want to go down that path in other areas that you leave it up to citizens to enforce the law. That's what's kind of interesting here is this, this kind of theoretical concept behind it of, of how you go about enforcing using uh, people and their their views on this to then enforce it because uh, through litigation. Uh, so we'll be looking more at that as that goes forward and of course is challenged uh, in the courts. Uh, what I'd like to do now in order to transition here and talk about some other facets of this, especially statewide polling, uh, where are people in Texas on the abortion issue? There's some recent polls out in the last few months uh, that give us a glimpse of this and connect it to everything from uh, party affiliation to religiosity, uh, as well as talk about some of the politics and policy aspects of this going forward. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back for more on politics. I'm Rissa. I'm Taylor. And we are the, the Music, Music Business, Business Babes. Babes. Music Business Babes is a music-based bi-weekly podcast where we answer tough industry-related questions, discuss updates in the industry, provide insight from our own personal experiences, and share fun stories along the way. You can catch the show by searching for Music Business Babes or Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow, and we're glad you're joining us today right here on KTRL 90. FM or live stream through tarletonradio.com. Uh, today's topic is a single topic show on the issue of abortion. And in the first part of the show, we kind of look back at the context of this issue in Texas, 
starting with the recent law that was assigned into effect by Governor Abbott, one of the most restrictive laws to date in Texas and in the nation related to abortion, knowing that we will probably see this challenge uh, in the courts going forward, but also looking back over the last decade and how Texas has addressed this issue uh, through the uh, legislative action, uh, through the courts, uh, and talking about kind of the current status of abortion in Texas. And so all of that is there. I'm going to post related articles with data and information uh, on uh, the Facebook page that's on politics with Eric Morrow. Uh, but I wanted to start with this last part of the show, uh, looking at a couple of things. And one of those, when we talk about this issue and many issues in, in, this, in the focus of the show, and we connect it to politics and we connect it to uh, the engagement of, of people in the body politic, the people out there who vote and have views on these issues and want then to impact government and its relationship with these issues, uh, it's, it, this becomes very critical because it does impact voting. It is an aspect of issues like this that are uh, looked at by those who are running for office and those who are serving in terms of the kinds of issues that it, they engage with. Uh, and as we've seen, uh, the Texas uh, government in Texas uh, become more dominated by the Republican Party over the last several decades. Abortion has been an issue that has been front and center. Now, if we go back to the 20th century, we can see that Texas, uh, throughout that century, social conservatism has always been a part uh, of, of politics in the state. It's always been an influence. And it's really not until the latter part of the 20th century that we began to see uh, social issues uh, become a uh, very prominent, more much more prominent in politics, and and much more divisive in terms of of, of party alignment and how parties looked at these particular issues. And one of the things I always like to explain in my government classes is uh, is not to engage with that to think that oh this party is good and this party is is bad. Uh, it's important that we look at these issues in terms of how uh, different political parties and different political ideologies are ranking their, their values related to these issues. Okay? It's much more complex than saying, oh, this is the, a good perspective and a bad perspective. We, we, we lean that way because of our own uh, uh, ideas and how we see these issues, how we rank our own values or how we've been, those values have been shaped by political socialization, the, the where we grow up, the family we grow up in, the influence of education and religion and, and so on, uh, all of that helps to shape our kind of worldview and thus how we see these particular issues. But when we dive into them in terms of political parties and engagement with the issues, it's important to look at uh, how uh, groups uh, and people rank their values. Uh, for instance, uh, a big debate in our country over the last uh, decade has been uh, health insurance, providing access to health care by ensuring that everyone has some access to health insurance, whether it's government-provided health insurance like Medicaid or Medicare, it's private insurance provided by insurance companies, uh, or is it the government uh, facilitating, like we saw with the Affordable Care Act, uh, providing access to where people can go into the private marketplace and buy insurance, have access and be able to afford insurance. Uh, and so the debate has been, how do, you, how do you see that? And you have some that, that have a more uh, uh, a view on this of, of emphasizing the value of freedom. Well, it's my choice whether I have insurance or not. Uh, it's not the government's role to tell me that I have to have insurance. Of course, we all know the cost of medical care and access to it, uh, the how, how much that cost has risen uh, and how much of a challenge it can be when people need it. But there's still this kind of underlying uh, uh, ideological foundation that says I need to be free to choose whether with my resources that I want to buy insurance or not. I mean, we can go back and, and when I was growing up, it was seatbelt laws and motorcycle helmet laws and open container laws and so forth. Government kind of intruding into private space as it was perceived and saying, well, no, you, you can't do this because it could very often result in this, you know, endangering someone's life or lives or providing safety uh, as, as well. So the, the ranking of values can be important, whereas like 
The other side of this with health insurance is, or access to health insurance and health care, is an issue of equality. So someone may emphasize equality uh, much more than they do freedom when it comes to this issue. It's in, for them, it's important that everyone has access to health care and that government has a role in, in addressing that because it is a very complex and, and costly uh, aspect of our society and of our lives. So when we come to, to abortion, it's, it's very much that same way, is where, where do people stand in terms of what they value? Is it as a part of the social conservatism? Is it this emphasis on the traditional values of uh, related to marriage and family, and, of, and in this case of life, of saying that, well, uh, we value uh, life uh, however it's been, it's, it comes into existence, we are valuing life above all things. Uh, or then that's on one side or the other side to say, well, we value in this case freedom. It's the it's the right of the mother. The mother should be free uh, to the woman to choose whether she wants to have this child or not. It's it's her body. And she should then be able to make that that choice. Uh, and then you have a lot in the middle where we see, with, especially in the legal side of it, in some of these places where there are exceptions for uh, if the woman's life is in danger or if uh, the pregnancy is a result of rape or incest. I mean, there, there, are, there are these kind of gray areas that we wrestle with that oftentimes those, those values become a little more challenging uh, to use as a guide in how uh, we address these things because we know our human condition and experience uh, uh, changes and is different for every person and every situation uh, is very different. Uh, so before we, we get any further in that, I know, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time left today. I do want to talk a little bit about where we are in terms of uh, uh, public views on abortion. And so the Texas Politics Project, which I'll link to these polls on the Facebook site, that's On Politics with Eric Morrow. Uh, there was a, a poll that, that this is a regular polling uh, that's done by the University of Texas and the Texas Tribune. And in April 2021, the question was asked, uh, support? Do you support or oppose automatically banning all abortions in Texas if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade? And of course, in this Mississippi case that's gone forward to the Supreme Court, uh, Roe v. Wade could be under under review uh, in uh, as the Supreme Court takes up uh, that case. So uh, this was asked in this polling uh, across a wide. Um, uh, uh, demographic differences and, and, and trying to encompass as many uh, variations that represent the majority of Texans across the state. And overall, uh, the poll showed that 22% strongly support, 12% somewhat support. So on the support side, that's about 34%. Somewhat oppose or strongly oppose uh, was 12% and then strongly oppose 42%. Uh, so really, this poll leans more toward those uh, who uh, are in opposition of banning all abortions in Texas uh, if the Supreme Court overrules Roe v. Wade. Uh, by party ID, of course, this would be assumed uh, that strong support was there, 39% of those who identify as Republicans, 19% somewhat support, 39% strongly support. So we're looking at a majority there of, of Republicans. Uh, oppose 74% uh, Democrats, strongly oppose, although you do have some smaller uh, segments there of Republicans as well. But you can clearly see that opposition and support along party lines. Uh, when you look at it by identification, again, uh, those who uh, identify as, as Democrat, whether lean Democrat, not very strong Democrat or strong Democrat, uh, uh, the majority uh, are opposed to overturning Roe v. Wade, whereas on the Republican side, again, strongly support. So it's very clear, and this is one of the reasons why this issue is going to be challenging going forward, especially with uh, party transition in Texas, is that you, you see parties clearly align on each side of this issue. When you look at it in terms of ideology, uh, you see that, that liberal political ideology which emphasizes more equality uh, in this case and freedom uh, and the right to choose, or the right to access, uh, that liberals are much more in, in support or opposed to overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, whereas uh, conservatives, not quite as much. I mean, 
between strongly opposed by uh, liberals is 81 percent, whereas strongly support and somewhat support uh, among uh, conservatives is only at about 60 percent. Uh, so you can still see that there's some there is some variation here in uh, in terms of this issue. Now let's look at another question while we have some time here as well. The question was, do you support or oppose allowing any individual in Texas the right to sue an abortion provider? So this was asked knowing that 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 law was coming up. And then the other poll after this, which I'm not sure we'll have time to get to, but it said, do you support or oppose making abortion illegal after six weeks of pregnancy? Okay, in both of these polls, what we begin to see in the overall poll is again, this, this different sides that are about even. The, uh, the right to sue an abortion provider, 30% strongly supported, 14% somewhat supported, so 44%. 8% somewhat oppose, 29% strongly oppose. Uh, that works out to about 37%. Again, when you look at this along party ID, uh, you see that 49 strongly support, 17% uh, somewhat support among Republicans, whereas 54% and 8% either somewhat oppose or strongly oppose among Democrats. Uh, again, you have to look at these polls, and again, I'll link to them because these are something to engage with and just kind of see where the population is in the state. And then just, just briefly, the, the uh, support or oppose making abortion illegal uh, after six weeks of pregnancy, 34% strongly support or, and 15% somewhat support, so right at 49%, whereas 10% somewhat oppose. 31% strongly opposed, right at 41%. But again, when you look at party ID, uh, you see it almost even between uh, Republicans supporting limiting abortion, Democrats opposing uh, a limiting this limit on abortion. Uh, so there's more polls here that go back. Uh, this last one was done in April of 2021, but it, it helps you to see how uh, challenging an issue is like this within the political context of the state of Texas when we're looking at, even though Republicans are very much in control of state government and the executive and legislative and even the judicial, uh, we still see uh, the, the, the growth in the Democratic Party and we could see a more transition uh, in government in, in, in Texas. We didn't see it in this last general election where Republicans overall only lost uh, one seat uh, it was anticipated that Democrats would have a stronger showing, but it, it didn't happen. And part of that was due to turnout, turnout across the state. Will that be reduplicated in future elections? We will have to see. Uh, but what I want to focus on here, just in closing, is the part of the reason why we're looking at this today and why we need to consider the different facets of this, from uh, current law and what's happening there to what has happened in the last decade and even further back, to public opinion and polling on these issues, to the current context of, of, of what abortion is in Texas, what are the facts about it, how is it offered, delivered, what, how many abortions do we see, to related issues like teen pregnancy and access to health care, because all of this becomes intertwined in, in a very complex policy area. And you need a knowledge of, of, of this. You need to be able to engage with this, even if you have very strong views on this issue, uh, either pro-life or pro-choice, wherever you are in terms of party affiliation or ideology, how you rank your values. Uh, that, that puts an emphasis on how we use government and what you support in terms of the role of government in dealing with this issue. But I also say, and this is what often gets overlooked, the auxiliary issues. So if we're going to have stricter abortion laws, how are we addressing teen pregnancy? How are we addressing uh, the support services for the care of children uh, who either need to be adopted or in foster care? Uh, we have some challenges in that in Texas. We, we've had a long history here now, or I should say a short history, of, of going after uh, abortion providers and putting in strict laws and trying to push the envelope of where those laws are and how restrictive they are. But how much have we in the other direction gone to addressing some of the root issues of, uh, of this? And of course, as we've seen teen pregnancies decline across the country, we've certainly seen abortion rates decline in that age group. 
Uh, but a part of that too is then what what are we continuing to do? Because we always know that no matter how restrictive these are going to be, there's still going to be ways around them. There's still going to be uh, abortions, or there's still going to need to be alternatives, right? Alternatives that and and, and we have to de debate and discuss how much should we use government uh, as a part of that solution in terms of those alternatives, because certainly what the private sphere provides in terms of adoption, foster care, health care, and so on is not sufficient. Uh, because you see the, the teen pregnancy rates and abortion rates, especially among those who are on the lower socioeconomic levels uh, within our state, and you see among those who have less access to health care and less access to insurance, uh, that that this is where a lot of this is, is happening and thus needs to be addressed in some other way. Some of these uh, uh, issues have not been front and center in terms of how the state uh, engages. And, and some of these are more challenging, right? They're not those magnetic issues like abortion that draw people uh, to a certain one side or the other and, and thus make a lot of waves and, and help to get someone reelected or help to say, hey, look at what I'm doing on the part of our party or I, our ideology or my constituents. Uh, and, but they're, they're, they're issues that do need to be addressed. And I, I think what I do here and what we'll do with issues in the future as well, and we've done this some in the past, is that we'll advocate uh, that we all need to know more. We need to engage more and have more knowledge of where these issues are, what their background is, uh, what, where, what's the status in public opinion, what's the status in, in legislation uh, in our state, and then what are related issues that need to be addressed as well so that we can be a part of the solution in terms of quality of life uh, in our state, uh, how we use government, and how we engage through government in addressing critical issues in our times. So that's a wrap on a, a, a one show on a specific issue, which we have uh, don't believe we've done before, uh, but I think it will be something that we'll be looking at, especially in focusing on specific policy areas. I'm glad that you joined us today right here on KTRL 90.5 FM. Join us each week, Sundays at noon, for On Politics with Eric Morrow. Have a great Memorial Day holiday, and we will be back with you again next week. Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Carissa Cole. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.